0: So today we are in part 27 of our series uh, in the book of John, our study in the book of John. And um, to get things um, started, we have our opening question. Do we all have the outlines? Everybody, you have an outline? Okay, fine. If you don't have one, please signal to any of the ushers and they will give you one. Um, Okay, so before the question is a statement and that statement is you will live long in Jesus name <laughs> you can imagine the question will follow after that okay if you know you will die in a few hours what three things will top your prayer list if you if you if you knew that you're going to die in a few hours from now and you know if you pray God will answer your prayers what are the three top things that will top your prayers apart from long life (laughs) apart from extension of life (laughs) okay who wants to go what would be the three most important things for you okay yes There's there's a hand there yeah to make heaven to, that's one, okay? To make heaven one, uh huh. My loved ones to make heaven, then the church to make heaven. Uh, uh, your loved ones to make heaven, okay? Spiritual response. Thank you. Make heaven. Love will make heaven, then the church to make heaven. Thank you. Yes. What would it be? Good evening, Pastor. Good evening. I would ask the Holy Spirit <laughs> to. Forgive me if I didn't live up to God's expectations. If. On <laughs> And then uh, I'll pray for my loved ones. And I pray that they would um, work in the consciousness of the Holy Spirit while they are still alive. And also for the church of God to work stronger. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So you pray for your loved ones. And you pray for the church of God to work stronger. Yes. Okay. Uh, good evening, everybody. Good evening. I'll ask if there's anything outstanding that I was meant to have done that I haven't done so that I can do them. In a few hours. <laughs> In a few hours. I would... Like go to, go to Iraq <laughs> on a mission trip. <laughs> okay. I'll pray that, more like cut a deal with God, that he will take care of my children. You pray for your children. I'll pray for my children. So not just loved ones generally. No. For your children. For my children. Okay. And their children after them. Then third one is that God will receive me into glory. <laughs> As insurance prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody throws in an insurance prayer, you know. Anybody else, what would it be? If you had, um, I hope I'm not missing this section. If you, if you had, if you are to leave and, and you have three prayer points, Three requests to heaven, what would it be? Let's take a final one, and we'll dive into today's study. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Ma. I'll pray for forgiveness of sin. If there is anything I have done, you know? If. Uh, Yes. (laughs) First and foremost, forgiveness of sin. In case there is, then I'll pray for my children. I'll pray for my husband. I pray for my grandchildren. Ah, that's for ah, ah, I'll pray for them, oh. Okay. <laughs> okay, thank they you. Thank you. Let God ma. take care of them for me. <laughs> thank you, man. Thank you. Awesome. Um, we are uh, very interesting, you know. Um, so today we are going to look at the prayer of a man that had a few hours to live, and we are going to look at the things. What did he pray for? You know, and um learn from that and we'll be done. John chapter seventeen from verse one to twenty-six, john seventeen, one to twenty-six. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent on earth to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. You know, for those that say that Jesus is not God, you know, I mean, obviously, he was there before the world began. (laughs) He must be God. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world but for those you have given me because they belong to you and all who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me so they bring me glory. Now I am departing the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they and the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one they do not belong to this world any more than I do make them holy by your truth teach them your word which is truth just as you sent me into the world I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message, like Femi Munayin and everyone in God's private house. (laughs) I pray that They will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be as they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You see that again, today, this, it, was, it was there last week also, that God loves you the way he loves Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Praise the name of the Lord. The same way he loves Jesus. The Father loves loves us. Father, I want this womb you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father. The world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Amen. So that was Jesus' prayers a few hours to his crucifixion. And if we look at it from verse um, 1, in fact, the whole of John 17 is the longest, most personal prayer that Jesus prayed in the New Testament. So it, it's, it's revealing his heart. And if you look at v- v- verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, but before we begin to even look at that, the, the question is, you know, the issue is, if you, if you really want to know someone, listen to them pray. If you really want to know someone listen to them pray. So question, have you overheard somebody else's prayer? What impression did that leave on you? Have you overheard anybody's prayers? Maybe when you were you woke up at night you were hearing, okay? You're hearing your neighbor pray. Yeah. Uh, your brother. Praise God. Hallelujah. I overheard my partner praying one time. Your father. My partner. Like person seated. Your partner, okay, me. in church. Yes. Okay, okay. And before that I think she was a very quiet person. Right. But hearing her pray, it made me understand that she's deeper than meet the eye, and right. she's very passionate.
1: Right. She's a
0: very passionate person. So since then, I relate to her on that level. Not on the level of, oh, she's a smiley, quiet person, but on the level of this person can actually communicate and be with deep God. with the communication.
1: Amen. Praise God.
0: Hallelujah. Okay. Praise God. Hallelujah. I actually heard my mom pray. And um, most especially, anytime she's praying, she's always bringing her children first, you know. And um, that has actually impacted my life because... None of us um, misbehaved, you know. We're we still um, under her prayer points, apart from my younger sister that is just um, <laughs> living her life the way she wants. And that has actually helped me. Now I, I, I can actually intercede for others. So while praying right. now, I intercede first, then before bringing mine to God. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? I've, I overheard someone's prayer. What impression did that make on me? And again, like the two e- examples that were are giving, when you overhear someone's prayers, <laughs> it, 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 it shows you their heart. You know? So as we dive into Jesus' prayers, we see his heart. Verse 1. After saying these things, what things? These things he said in last week, well, that we looked at last week in chapter um, 16. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father. And the prayer began. And this posture that Jesus took is a frequent posture that Jesus takes. Jesus in many occasions that we're going to look at, when it wants to pray, it looks up to heaven. Physically looks up to heaven and says, Father, you know? I mean, folks have asked me, why do you always look up when you pray? Why do you always look up when you pray? Okay, because of Jesus, I'm following his example. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. You, my, I, my, my face just goes up. Why? Because the father is on the throne. And I'm talking to him. I'm not saying you must always look up when you pray. I'm just saying it's interesting. Even if you're not looking up physically, your heart should be looking up to the throne of heaven. And it's a posture that suggests that you are looking in the direction of of the person you are communicating with, you know. Um, growing up, there's a saying that talk is in the is in the face. Have you heard that before? Talk is in the face. If you have a friend or someone that wants that maybe you're in a relationship with, and the person wouldn't look at your face when they talk to you, you want to talk to your husband and his. Or your wife, and she's, she, can't, she doesn't want to look at you face-to-face. koro, as they say. It means that something obviously is wrong with that relationship. And God wants us to emulate Jesus, obviously. So, the, the first thing we learn from, from his prayer is that he faces God. When he prays. When you pray, you have to face God. It's possible to be talking to your spouse and be facing the TV. Or someone is talking to you and they're facing the TV. How do you feel? you feel you're not important to them? Or there's something you want to talk to them. You're talking to them, but you're reading the newspaper. They say, but I'm talking to you, but I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You just said ABC. Continue. And you continue with the newspaper. It shows that they are not your priority. Or they are talking to you. You are playing a video game. It shows that the person is not your priority. But when the person is your priority, you turn your face to them. And you look at them. And they feel valued. They feel important. And the relationship is strengthened. When Jesus wants to talk to God, Jesus faces him. When you want to talk to God, face him. Face him. And because he's on the throne in heaven, that means face up. Not all the time, like I said, the posture of your heart is more important, but it mostly will reflect on the physical. If you look at Luke 9:16 it says this is the feeding of the 5000 men not counting women and children it says Jesus took the bread the five loaves and two fish looked up to heaven and blessed them then breaking the loaves into pieces He kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute to the people. So we see that Jesus, in another instance, he he had an almost impossible situation. How do you feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish? How? How do you do that? So he faced God and blessed it, you know. Very instructive. In John 11, 40 to 41, in the story of Lazarus that we learned a few weeks ago, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see the God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you for always hearing me. I mean, Amazing. Before you faced the situation and said, Lazarus, come forth. And either was dead, came back alive. So when you face God, you can face the problem. When you turn your face to God in prayer, you can turn your face to the problem in victory. When you turn your face to God in prayer, you can turn your face to your position in victory. In Mark 7:33 to 35, it says Jesus led him away. Let him. This is the, the the man that was dumb. Jesus led him away from the crowd so he could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, you see it again. He sighed and said, Efata, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Looking up to God, and facing God, Jesus could change something that was totally physically impossible because he looked up to God. It's a a huge lesson for us. When you face a situation at work, in your business, at home, in your career, in your health, look to God. Shift your focus to God. And God will fill your mouth with laughter. And your tongue with singing. You see, and when we as God's children we have the privilege of going to him willingly. A time will come when those that are not with God will have to Bow to him compulsorily. Really. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Is it going to be voluntary bowing? Or is it going to be mandatory bowing bowing? What will it be? You decide. Will you bow voluntarily now, or will you be <laughs> compelled to bow? Because every knee will bow. And when people become arrogant towards God, God knows how to humble them until they recognize that he's God. There's no one that God cannot humble. When someone becomes arrogant at God, God is able to bring them down And they, by themselves, will say, ah, there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. People have made very arrogant statements. By the time God is done with them, they lift up their faces to heaven and they say, Ranka Dede, to the God that lives forever. (laughs) And a classic example is Nebuchadnezzar. In, in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel 3, 34. It says, after this time had passed, what time? The time he was eating grass. I mean, let me give you a background. Let's not ask everybody knows this story. How many people, um, I know this story. Let me see your hands up. Okay. Okay, put on your hands. So not everybody knows the story. Now, here goes. There was a king, very powerful king, Nebuchadnezzar. He had a dream. And called wise men. They couldn't interpret it. Daniel came, long story short, interpreted his dream. And Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar that Ogallemi oh, advise you. Humble yourself. God has promoted you. You have things that other people will beg for. The only thing he needs from you is humble yourself. And he thanked Daniel and Daniel left. And 12 months passed, Nebuchadnezzar didn't humble himself. You know, sometimes as if God is, is, is sleeping, you know, but he isn't. 12 months. At the end of 12 months, the verdict came from heaven. The king began to crawl like an animal. He was only eating grass, like His his skin, his his hair on on the body began to grow like animals. And he had to be in the jungle for seven years. Because that was the prophecy. After seven years, according to God's word, he says, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up, To heaven, my sanity returned and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honoured the one who lives forever. He rules in the affairs of men. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. After seven years of chopping grass, I don't need to chop grass for one day. I lift up my eyes. To you and I adore you, the King of Heaven. (laughs) You know, after seven years, and you know, for God, God showed Nebuchadnezzar that he alone determines who gets what. He alone is God, and so, so when Nebuchadnezzar came back, he came back from the jungle to his throne. Nebuchadnezzar was the the king of the most powerful nation on earth and he was absent for seven years and nobody dethroned him. That is a miracle. Even kings that are present on their thrones, (laughs) he's not sure because they're going to be onslaughts. He was absent for seven years and all his guys were still loyal to him. By the time he came back, they still restored him as king. And he says, Ah, Ran-Kadede, I bow to you, the king of heaven. Hallelujah. It's beautiful because when Jesus looked up to heaven, it's instructive. You only look up to your source. You only look up to a superior. So when Jesus looked up to heaven, it was an acknowledgement. Just like the Bible says that, uh, just like the servants wait on the master's hands, so, Lord, my soul will wait on you. And that's, I mean, David would say in Psalm 121 that I will lift up my eyes to the ills. From Does my help come from there? <laughs> you know? No, but my help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And we are still in verse 1. After saying all this, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, Okay, let's jump to verse 14. It says, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Now, this is usually a conflict for us because we live in the world, and when you stand for God, if you remain with God, sometimes, sometimes... People will just detest you for nothing. You have not done anything. They just don't like your face. And many times it bothers us and we are like, "Um," you know, but God is saying, don't worry. They did it to me. Jesus says, they didn't like me. Why would they like you? If you remind them of me and I remind them of the things they don't want to be reminded of. So that should encourage us that we are in the right place when, for God's sake, for God's sake, people dislike you. Not for your own sake. Not for your own bad behavior. For God's sake. In verse 9, now, this Jesus Setting the parameters here. He says, my prayer is not for the world. But for this, for those you have given me. Because they belong to you. I am praying not only for these disciples of mine. But for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now, go back again. My prayer is not for this world. Now, Jesus is praying. Jesus gets to a point in his life and he's praying and says to God, I'm not praying for everybody. I'm praying for only these guys and everybody else that will believe on me. Now, Jesus came to die for the world. But when the robber meets the road, You are only concerned about the people that are closest to your hearts. You remember all these responses. They will be, okay, I'll pray for my children. I'll pray for my loved ones. I'll pray for my grandchildren. I'll pray for my... Nobody remembers their neighbor. Your boss that has paid you salary for 25 years, they will remember to pray for them. Why? Because at that crucial moment it is the most important people to you. When the rubber meets the road, you are, you only pray for those you are accountable for. You know, and I thank God that, you know, God's favorite house, we have people come from everywhere, they want us to pray with them, and we are grateful to God and we pray with them, and God answers their prayers to the praise and glory of his name. You know, and one of them sent me a message and said oh pastor I, I, i'm sure you have been praying for me i laughed i said i'm not praying for you i'm sorry ah, but we are all your children I said, we are all <laughs> when the robber missed the road i know the people have accountable before when the robber missed the road i mean and it is not because i'm selfish hey I'm following Jesus. <laughs> when the robber meets the road, in fact, there was a, a, a case of someone that wanted me to stick out my neck for him. I said to him that I can't do it too Say, but I hear that you are, you can do it. We've done it for this person. I said, That one, I I I, I but I can't do it for you. Not because I dislike you, but why would I be fighting a battle that is not my own? Go and meet your pastor. What's he doing? Why are you coming to me? I'm sorry. Does that sound ash? <laughs> so, me, I should be fasting. Your pastor, your pastor should be feasting. <laughs> sorry. I know the people I'm fasting for. <laughs> so, so, so the, the, the point is this. When the robot meets the road... Is the most important people to you, the people, and it's people you are accountable for. And Jesus is saying that, look, God, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not praying for the world. This prayer time is not for the world. This prayer time is for these people you have given me. And Jesus's prayer can there are about f- three, four, five prayer points, but they are derivatives of of these three main prayer points. In fact, it can be two main prayer points, but I just brought out the third one anyway. um, So, so three dominant themes of Jesus' prayers. There are three dominant themes of Jesus' prayer. These three things Jesus prayed for. Number one, Protection. Protection is so important. Unbelievably important. If Jesus could pray for protection and pray for protection of his guys, protection is so important. Number two, glory. Hmm. Glory is a big deal to God. And number three, unity. Jesus prayed for protection, for glory, for unity. Let's let's start with protection. In verse 11 of John 17, it says, Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world. But I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. Verse 15, I am not asking you to take them out of the world. That's not my prayer. My prayer is that you protect them from the evil one. In this world, there's an evil one. And he doesn't have good plans for you. But God will protect you from his plans. In the name of Jesus. You see, when we pray for protections, we're like, oh are you always praying for protection? I'm like, you don't understand. Without protection, everything else that you think you have acquired can be reduced to nothing very quickly. Very, very quickly. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadows of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, is my refuge. So protection is so important. There will be protection of the Most High God over your life. Over your families, over your children, over your businesses, over your career, over your finances. In the name of Jesus. Hmm. It's so big. You have to pray for protection. There are arrows flying by the day. There's pestilence in the Noon time, but none will come near you in the name of Jesus. So, Jesus prayed for protection of his, of his people, protection, big, huge. Again, he was praying for his, his guys, his, that God should protect them. Number two, he, he prayed for unity. Okay, we are looking at unity before glory. <clears> he <throat> prayed for unity. Verse 21. It says, I pray that they will, be, they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in, in you. Verse 23. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. You know, the unity of Christians is is huge to Jesus. Oh yeah, there are a lot of denominations. There are so many denominations that they are interdenominations and independents and <laughs> all sorts. However, whatever name we bear as a church should not be a barrier to us fellowshipping and doing life and doing things together I know it's said in some church it's wrong that you can only marry someone from that church if you bring a wife or a husband from outside, even if they marry you they make your life miserable but why? when Jesus prayed that we be one So I'm praying that the time will come that the church, particularly Nigeria, will really be one in Jesus' name. When we are not concerned about glory, we are not concerned about kingdom, our kingdom. We are not concerned about our own turf. You know, people are just so egoistic, it's unbelievable. But Jesus' prayers will be answered. I'm confident and I know that. we were having a, um, a meeting yesterday yesterday? Yeah, yesterday and um one of my colleagues asked a question that in the times of Jesus that i mean miracles were what brought people to god and and then they heard the word of god then be, become saved but these days miracles have been so adulterated in the sense that people are just arranging miracles that you don't even know the one that is legitimate so even when god does a legitimate miracle there's still the doubt in people's heart and he doesn't command as much power as it used to be and that's that's the truth so i i said so so what are we going to do in our time and i told him what i mean one but i can see another one in this scripture and this is what Jesus says in verse 23. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So Jesus is saying, when the church is united, the community will know that these are Jesus' people. If Start with a local church. When a local church is united when there's no division, everyone around us would know that these are Jesus' people. Then when, from local church to local church to local church, when churches are united, Jesus is saying that would be a huge statement that you belong to me. So unity is, is so, 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 so crucial. Unity is so so unbelievably crucial. There's so many things that affect unity. So many things that affect unity. I was gonna ask for us to pass the mic around. What are the things that affect unity? What are the things that you have seen or you think affect unity? Let's start with a local church. One of the things. Maybe you've not seen it in God's favorite house because we are super united. Say amen. <laughs> There's a hand there. Keep the hands up until you get the mic. Thank you. you know? And, you know, by, we all intend our purposes by, you know, um, you know, I don't want to say by our standards, but GFH is really a united place. And I'm grateful to God for that. Yeah. Go on, praise God. Hallelujah. Oh. I think majorly gossip. Pardon me? Gossip. Gossip. Oh yes, absolutely. Nothing tears a community apart faster than gossip. And that's why in Gospel House we have zero tolerance for gossip. We don't do gossip. We shoot down gossip with a bazooka gun. It's like killing a fly with a with a double barrel gun. That's how we respond. People that gossip, they run away from, from church. When people hear that, pastor has heard that they gossip, they just disappear from church. And I say, bye, bye. Because if I catch you, you have time to be poking your nose into people's affairs. Mind your business. Focus on God. You are here to worship God. Ah, ah, that girl, she pregnant. I can't see any ring in her hand, though. Eh, this world wonders we never heard if we catch you <laughs> you will <you> hear me <laughs> ok uh, any other what do you think yes, there's a hand at the back arrogance, I will say arrogance I think ignorance, no doctrines actually like you don't wear trousers, you cover your hair, those causes... This. Doctrines of men causes division in the church. How? If they say you don't, you don't wear trousers, eh, you go to another place now. How <laughs> does that cause division? They say you cover your hair, and you cover it, if you feel you can't, then you find somewhere else. You know. But I mean, I agree that it can cause division on, on the big capital letter C church, Because different churches don't agree on those teachings. And what I say to my friends, my colleagues, my seniors in ministry, is that we don't have to agree on all the minors. Do we agree on the majors? Is Jesus the son of God? Did he die for my sins and your sins? Do you believe in the absolute faith in him and him alone and the authority of scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit? If you like, cover your face, your head like this. You are my brother. You are my sister. I'm going to hug you. Say, oh, I don't want you to hug me. Okay, I will shake you. I don't want you to shake me. Okay, I will nod to you. (laughs) you. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you like, don't wear your, let your skirt be sweeping the floor. Do you, you see, we major on minors a lot of the time. We just major on minors. We, we just focus on the things that are just negative. And in God's favorite house, we, we said uh, at the beginning when, when church was starting that we want to be known for, known for the things we are for, not for the things we are against. Amen. As a church, we want to be known for the things we are for. We are for changed lives. We are for the power of the Holy Spirit. We are for people entering into their destinies. That is what we are for. We don't want to be known as what we, for what we are against. Their churches are known. They are against covering of air. That's what they know the church for. They are against, I mean, against this. They are against that. They are against this. I don't think that's what God has called us to do. Okay, so thank you for that input. So let's just go on very quickly. I know there are other hands, but we can't take them. Um, So that is unity. And number three, glory. Verse one, it says from the very first verse, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. The the hour has come glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. And this is what I call the glory confusion in the church. There's a lot of glory confusion. People really don't understand God's heart concerning his glory. (laughs) People Of understanding, kind of many times they don't say it, but many times prefer shame because they feel the glory is the Lord's, they are so unworthy. But Jesus is saying. Father, for me to give you glory, you need to give me glory so I can return the glory to you. You know, when you say that, when we say that, we give God all the glory, right? There must have been something that God has done that is glorious, right? Unfortunately, some people are afraid, they are in bondage, they are afraid. I don't want to touch God's glory. Of course, you shouldn't take God's glory. Are you, are you crazy? Why would you want to do that? But I want to give Him, I want my life to give Him glory. And I want to reflect His glory. I want to take the glory and give it back to Him. Because no man on earth should give glory to himself. All the glory must be to the Lord. You can sing that song with understanding, and you can sing that song from a place of shame. So your life must be glorious before you can return that glory to God. Your life must be glorious before you can return, before you can give God glory. God, Jesus was saying, glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. Everything we give to God, he gives to us. There's nothing we have that we didn't receive from him. If you give money to God, we'll give it to you in the first place. It's God. There is, if you give your time to God, we'll give you the, the, the breath and the time that you're living. It's God. There's nothing we give back to him that we didn't receive from him. Nothing is manufactured by us that is of value. We should stop all this mediocre thinking. Now, I was reading a, an autobiography of, of some great man of God. Ah, uh, Who was he? can't remember. Uh, but, I mean, used mightily of God. Towards the, towards the end, he, he, did, he didn't die. He died. He didn't live very long. Uh, but, towards the end of the time he was dying, he said that, you know, the people had begun to give him glory for the miracles. That God was doing through him. So, he was afraid. And he said, he knows that his end is near. The man of God said that. And shortly after, after that, he died. And the analysis was, oh, the people killed him. I'm like, no, his ignorance killed him. It was his ignorance, when you check... Peter, when Peter, was it Peter and John? When, even Paul, when he came, came out of a shipwreck and the people wanted, they were worshipping him. What did Paul say? Don't worship me. Don't worship us. We are ordinary men like you. Worship God, right? That is your responsibility. Give glory back to, to God. It is not, oh, the people are looking at me now. I'm doomed. Nope. The people are looking at me and I'm pointing them to Jesus. That's my job. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> you know, some people, they are so enslaved in this shame mentality that it's, it's covered in piety. You know, it's just like people that think they are humble, but it's not humility, it's humility. In fact, when you, things are going on well for you as a person, and God is beautifying your life, all they are concerned about is, "I'm afraid for you. Ah, all this glory, so that you don't touch God's glory." Shut up! Shut up! You should see the life, and you should say, "Father, I give you glory for what you are doing in this life." That is being. Conscious, God-conscious, not sin-conscious or judgment-conscious. Samuel Moss, the guy that invented the, the telegraph, it was a... In fact, I, I think that's... Today, we can talk about social media, we talk about internet, we can talk about the telephone, we can talk about the fax machine, but without that breakthrough of the telegraph, where you can send signal to somebody long distance over a wire with Morse code and with, can be translated to alphabet and can send words, you know. When, I think it was in New York, that he sent the first telegraph. Guess what the guy sent? His very first telegraph, numbers 23-23. See what God has wrought. That's the first telegraph ever sent. The guy acknowledged that... So, that is a life that can give glory to God. If he sits down in his village, he doesn't achieve anything, he doesn't become all that God has called him to be. He's sitting there and just saying, the glory must be to the Lord. Which glory is to the Lord? The glory of your lack of productivity... Or the glory of your foolishness? Which glory is the Lord's? Achieve greatness. And turn it back to heaven. And say, see what God has wrought. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise the name of the Lord. An unproductive, gloryless life cannot... Give glory to God. In fact, if he says to the Lord, take glory, Father, take glory, Lord, the angels will say, "Eh, which glory is this for bringing? (laughs) There's no glory from the life. There will be glory in your life. To the glory of his name. You see, because God cannot bring glory out, sorry, God can bring glory out of shame. However, shame itself does not glorify God. In fact, there will be no need for God to, to, to change shame to glory if shame glorifies God. There will be no need now. So shame is of no value to anybody. And you know, the, the by God's grace, the by God's grace confusion. We use by God's grace. I'm amazingly wrong. You don't prepare for a football match. You say, by God's grace, Super egos will carry the World Cup. By God's grace. I mean, we used to stop that. I love, I mean, you know I suppose Super egos. If they win this World Cup, it is God's grace. <laughs> it's just, it's just foolishness. And, Nigerians are masters at that. Oh, it can it will happen by God's grace. Do put in the work. Put in the work. Put in the work. That's God's grace. Really? If you look at Jesus, Jesus says in verse 4 of John 17 says, I brought glory to you here on earth, how? By completing the work you gave me to do. I finished my work. I brought glory to your name. We don't do our work talk less or finish it. Then we say, by God's grace, all things, things go better. By God's grace. What's, what's God's grace? Well, <laughs> praise the name of the Lord. Ah, Okay, so I'll leave you with verse 17. When you get home, you do that. I'll jump to verse 12. As we draw the cutting, maybe we do verse 25 if there's time. But verse 12. During my time here, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me, I guarded them. So that not one was lost except the son of perdition. Except the one headed for destruction. As the scriptures foretold. Now, this was it was talking about Judas Iscariot. And this is Jesus speaking. Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them was Judas, the son of perdition. So you, you must have heard the saying. In every 12, there's a Judas. Have you heard that before? Yeah, because I mean I'm not saying it's scriptural, but you know, it's a good measure. <laughs> because if Jesus himself said, I chose you 12, before Jesus chose the 12, he had night vigil. Remember? He prayed all night before he begins to select, began to select. He says, I chose, he said, I chose you 12, and one of you is the devil. I chose you myself and one of you still managed to be a devil. Still managed to be <laughs> praise the Lord. So, the truth is when you have a church by God's grace like God's favorite house there's a tendency to have a couple of Judases. But in God's favorite house there will be no Judas. It's just a tendency. (laughs) I say I'm grateful to God that I can pick it up very easily on people. Sometimes it comes as a spirit that attaches itself on people. You see a very good person begin to become rotten. Why? Because that spirit of perdition has attached itself. I've seen it attach itself I've tried to intercede in many cases. In some cases I succeed. In other cases the person goes down and it's so bad because it's, it's such a negative spirit that it tries to pollute other people but it is banished from God's favorite house In the name of Jesus. Because it's usually a heart issue. Usually a heart issue. So check your heart. It is the heart that usually qualifies the person as a candidate for that spirit to latch on. Judas has always, in his own case, kept his eye on the money why is Jesus wasting money? This woman that just broke alabaster box of oil, if we converted that to dinaries, I mean, that's a lot of money. We can feed the poor. It was not poor. The Bible says that he was a thief. He, was, he has calculated the amount. Look at Gehazi. Naaman said to Elisha, oh, I brought gold, I bought silver, I brought Textile, material, I, I mean, as gifts to the man of God. Elisha said, Sorry, we are not accepting anything today. And he turned back and left. And Gehazi said, Child, this Oga, <laughs> see, you didn't ask him. You didn't preach any sermon. The guy brought the money himself. If you want to die in poverty, eh? Oga, Elisha, me, I'm not dying in poverty. He went after. Naaman, collected it's the wrong heart, it's the wrong spirit. And Elisha said, did I not follow you? You know, you can sit in your house and follow people. <laughs> did I not follow you? Were you? Since you have collected this gold. Eh, Kukuma collects the leprosy. Akari go you are your children. <laughs> Horrible place to be. Horrible. The work is a hard work. I work with God is a heart work. If the heart is contaminated, stop and sort it out. Don't continue. If you continue, you are asking for trouble. The heart is, is you know that, ah, my heart, you know, it's not like this, so how come I'm beginning to be jealous of stop and sort it out? If you don't, you're asking for trouble. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, so you do 25 at home for time. Um, the commit section today, I commit to what, imp- what is impressed upon your heart today that you need to commit to. There are a lot of things today. And since we've heard the word, we also have to be committed to act on it and pass it on. Do we have any questions? Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Because I'm Tazi